Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Abelverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping, coming smooth. Jumping, and the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into another Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by Gainesville Sun Hoops beat writer and many more for the Gainesville Sun, Graham Hall. What's up, my man? What's going on, my man? Had a busy night last night, got to cover softball, but now I'm back here in the studio with you recapping a busy week of Gators athletics. Wouldn't want to talk it with anyone else but you, my man. Yeah, and you get to recap an actual basketball game that took place. We get to preview baseball with Jeff Cardozo. And of course, we get to talk about spring football starting early with practice kicking off on Thursday. And uh, no spring game, but a lot to look forward to as the Gators take uh, the field after missing spring practice in 2020. So we'll get into all that. We'll talk to Jeff in the second segment. We'll talk some other sports in the final segment. But of course, Graham, we got to talk football to begin because we got the surprise email from our boy Skip Powers this week that, uh, hey, get ready for a Zoom call with Mullen and practice on Thursday. Zach, I like to think that it was a surprise for a lot of people in that building as well. I'm imagining this is how it went down. They wake up, see the winter storm coming through America. They think, what's a better recruiting flex than to announce that we can have spring practice starting this week in Gainesville? The whole world takes notice to that while they're freezing their buns off. That's a good look, I think, for the University of Florida, but it has to be the earliest one I've been a part of. I can't think of an earlier time that they could have had it. Can you? No, they haven't had it this early. And I think a lot of it, too, we heard Dan Mullen go through the reasons during his press conference. One thing that he didn't mention, which I think is a factor, is certainly COVID and reality of potentially having some things pushed back or having to miss a week of practice. And because of that, you want to give yourself enough time to get those 15 practices in. So I think starting early is a very smart move from that standpoint. But then the reasons Mullen gave. One, the coaches weren't on the road recruiting in January, so they were able to get a lot of their cut-ups and film review done from last season and were able to start working on 2021. And then the second factor, and I think is even more important, is They want to get those guys out there and get new practice film on them, especially the ones that maybe haven't gotten a lot of opportunities, didn't play last season. They want them to be able to watch themselves, as Dan Mullen said, and that's the best way for them to get better is by watching themselves on tape, seeing the mistakes that they make, having the coaches correct it with them in the film room, and then guess what? Going back out there to spring practice the next day and working on those things and coming back right back in the film room that night and reviewing it again. That didn't get to happen last year. And with a lot of players that needed that and that they were counting on last season. So this is a really, really critical time. And why wait when you can start things now? And like you said, you can flex that, hey, it's all nice and warm in the sunny, sunshine state of Florida while everyone is is freezing. And we don't say that lightheartedly because we definitely hope that everybody is – 
you know, definitely staying safe and staying warm, but it is an advantage that they have here in Gainesville, Florida. Absolutely. You look around the country, obviously, not to make light of that situation, but we certainly know strangers to weather coming through and interrupting spring practice, whether it's rain, whatever Hurricanes. it is. Yeah, absolutely. Wind, who knows what can happen here in Gainesville. And so I understand not only is everyone on campus, the time is right for this to happen. Why wait when something could impede that, could push you back even farther? And then what you just said, they didn't get that time last year, that critical time. We told this to everyone who would listen, how valuable that summer and spring taken away was for the development of a lot of the underclassmen. Those guys are excited to get a jump start on their development. So that is going to happen now. I am really looking forward to seeing how this offense changes. I know we're going to get some very interesting insight. We're not going to get those front row sideline views like we were used to seeing those first two years of the Dan Mullen era. But Scott Strickland did say on Twitter this week that Florida's going to get a little bit creative when it comes to giving fans a view. And one more thing I got to add. You mentioned that Florida's coaches aren't going anywhere. They're not leaving campus. Last week, we talked about the NCAA continuing to push back in-person recruiting. This week, we got a little bit of an update on that, that it's been pushed back to May 31st. So a little bit of clarity on that situation may have been why Florida decided to go ahead and say, listen, let's start spring practice. Yeah, absolutely, because we're not going to be going anywhere. We're not going to have any recruits coming and and obviously not going to have any fans or media coming to practice. But like you said, they're going to give opportunities for fans and media members, I'm sure, will be tuning in as well to still see this team at practice via live streams on Instagram, Facebook, all these different social media avenues. Uh, but then as well on SEC Network, as Strickland said, that they'll probably have a segment with the Gators where they get all access and you get to see some up-close stuff. So still ways to watch this team, but you're not going to be able to do it for the Orange and Blue game for the second year in a row as they've made the decision because of COVID and just not wanting to have another gathering of that size to just wait and hold that final scrimmage close to fans and close to media. And as much as that you know, sucks for fans, it does suck for some of the younger players as well that could have used that opportunity to get in front of another stadium and in front of another fan base and crowd and and take some snaps. So that's not going to happen. But I I still think that there's a lot that, you know, we can look forward to that they're going to want to see when they do these live streams from practice and and some of these mid-year enrollees and transfers that have come in. You know, know, we want to see how those guys are going to show up. Yeah, absolutely. And not only are we going to want to see the new guys on campus, but obviously a new quarterback, a duo, uh, really, that you could look at. We're going to be interested to see how this offense plays out. And as Scott Strickland noted, you're not going to get a view from Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, even though that's going to be a valuable tool when it comes to those underclassmen getting adjusted to the playing conditions. Hopefully, we're going to get some more fans back in games here that the country is in the position where that can happen this year. But right now, they're not going to get a chance to really be in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium for the time being. And who knows if that's going to have any role. But like I said, Scott Strickland noticed that that's going to be a COVID-19 testing and vaccination site for the time being. And Florida wisely getting out of the way for that and realizing that that's the best thing to do. And I will say one thing, and Dan Mullen kind of alluded to this this week, but What's most important is for them to get the 15 practices in for a lot of reasons. Obviously, for the quarterback turnover, for the pieces that you lost on offense, Kyle Pitts and those receivers. Certainly guys along the offensive line, too, that parted uh, ways with the program, the seniors that graduated. And then on the defensive side, a lot of changes, a lot of turnover, especially in the secondary. You lose four starters uh, to a unit that ranked 100th nationally in pass defense. So 
there's a lot that they are going to benefit from from these 15 practices. Um, but I think the fact that they're not going to have a spring game, that would definitely be beneficial for the guys that are coming in as mid-year enrollees. But a lot of the freshmen and younger players on this roster, they got a chance to play in the Cotton Bowl. They got a lot of snaps and a lot of playing time and really saw kind of where they measure up against one of the best teams and programs in college football. And I think that is more valuable for those players than whatever would have happened in the orange and blue game. And, and I don't think that we should lose sight of that. And I, and I know for a fact that Dan Mullen has that in mind because they went to that bowl game knowing that I was going to be an opportunity to play some of those younger players once they figured out how many opt-outs that they had. So the developmental aspect of going to practice, of reviewing film, of seeing kind of how they look in their new role – that's something that they're going to have to see. But as far as the game atmosphere, they really got a lot of that in the Cotton Bowl, and I think that's going to pay dividends once the 2021 season rolls around. You're talking about the Cotton Bowl again. You know, I mentioned spring and summer being devoid, but normally around bowl season, part of the reward of making that bowl is those 15 or so practices that you're going to get before bowl preparation. Florida didn't get those this year. They went home over Christmas break, reconvened about two, three days before going out there to, to Dallas. You, you look around, and those are normally – Three periods in a year where you're getting a lot of development time that this program didn't get. So obviously, this is going to be a critical stretch. And I just got to say, even though you're not going to get an orange and blue game, I'm sure that Dan Mullen wants to get some live tackling going. Because last year, that was really something that was deprived from the defense. Not a lot of live tackling situations. So you would hope that there's an onus on that this year, that they can find a way to do that. Now, before we go to Jeff Cardozo to shift gears and, and preview some baseball, and we'll also get his thoughts on Gators football who are some players that you are looking forward to seeing via live stream or just their updates from practice uh, as the Gators take the field this spring? I mean, certainly everyone wants to see Emory Jones, right? That's that, that goes without saying, but I think everyone's equally probably interested to see what Anthony Richardson can do. But beyond that, since Eric Gilbert still has not on campus yet, I mean, who's going to really step up at that tight end position and kind of take maybe some of that role that Kyle Pitts had. I don't. I know that they're probably not going to be used in the same way because he was a very, very special athlete, but the tight end still plays a very important role in Dan Mullen's offense, and they're going to need those guys to really take that on this spring. Is it Keon Zipper that really kind of fulfills his potential and maybe even gets more playing time than Gamble? Is it going to be a tandem with those two, or do we see some of the younger guys uh, step up? Um, I mean, that's something that I want to see. I, I think that obviously we know – uh, what Jacob Copeland is capable of, but a lot of younger receivers behind him that are going to have to kind of show up this spring because they got to replace a lot of guys in that receiving corps. And over on the defensive side, Graham, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that, that you're looking forward to seeing. I definitely want to see Trevez Johnson kind of take over in that star spot. And, and now with Brad Stewart moving on, what he can do as a full-time starter. And then really just some new pieces and players at safety. That's that's what I'm looking forward to, to seeing how maybe Trey Dean now comes into his own with the spring there to play that position. But who's going to line up next to him and be the starter? Is it going to be Torrance or does somebody else emerge? Uh, those are some of the positions that I'm going to be looking out for. Absolutely. You talk about tight end. I think Keon Zipper, you can use him a lot differently in the offense than you used Kyle Pitts. I'm really looking to see how they 
creates separation for him, and he has a chance to really shine. And I think Kamori Gamble as well will be a guy who will get much more playing time because he showed in the two and a half, three games that Kyle Pitts was out that he's a very capable tight end in this offense. And then you look at the defensive side of the ball, absolutely interested in seeing Trevez Johnson, Rashad Torrance, two guys as freshmen that really impressed me. Some of the other freshmen, though, I think they're ones that we've forgotten about that I'm really interested in seeing. Ethan Pouncey, is he fully healthy, ready to play? Jahari Rogers, two top 10 corners that Florida signed last year, and we really saw the units suffer without having them providing depth behind I think if we can see them in action, I think that would really reassure the fan base as well and Dan Mullen that there is more depth here than what they thought. Then you talk about safety. Corey Collier, I think that that's a guy who can come in and compete for playing time just like Rashad Torrance did last year. I'm interested to see how he looks already. Got to put on some weight. We knew the weight room was going to be significant for him, and he knew that as well, and that's why he got on campus early. So two months now, starting a little bit early, maybe he's a few weeks out from really feeling in elite collegiate shape right now. (laughs) Let's say it that way. But he obviously is a guy that everyone is excited to see. Uh, Jason Marshall as well, you know, the five-star corner coming out of Miami. You look at him obviously Florida is known for being DBU for having freshman corners coming in and playing right away starting going to be pressure yeah starting there's gonna be pressure on Jason Marshall to come in and provide an impact right away and he's gonna have a new position coach coming in as well who maybe is gonna be looking around at a fresh slate there's not really guys who are coming in who you saw last year made an impression on these guys last year coach crime dog Jules Montanar these coaches are are These are new pieces for them. They may have been familiar with them on the recruiting trail, but everyone's getting a fresh slate, and that's why sometimes players who weren't playing the year before can look forward to a coaching change because they have a chance to rebuild their reputation, start afresh. Their past mistakes are not held against them, and and I think that there's some players on this roster, especially the way the defensive mistakes unfolded last year, they're kind of looking for a fresh start, and and that's going to happen here today. And you mentioned Collier Marshall. I think some other newcomers to definitely keep your eye on this spring. Definitely the transfers and Demarcus Bowman at the running back position. The Gators are stacked in the backfield, but he's definitely, especially if he gets eligibility, going to be able to, I think, contribute and add a new element to that offense and to that run game. And then certainly the two defensive tackles coming in as grad transfers with Florida losing three seniors at that position, not having any seniors or juniors behind them, and just a bunch of underclassmen at defensive tackle. They really needed Shelton and Newkirk. And for those guys to be here this spring, that is very critical. And obviously those two grad transfers are going to provide some experience, some leadership at that position. And then the two early enrollees coming in are going to provide some depth at defensive tackle and Chris Thomas Jr. And big Desmond Watson, Coach Dan Mullen revealed this week where those two guys weighed in at, and you guys are going to be wowed by that height and weight. Now, first of all, uh, Chris Thomas, just a massive human being. He checked in at six, seven and a half, Mullen said, and over 300 pounds. And then Desmond Watson, six, five, four, 40, folks. Four four zero. I laughed so hard when Dan Mullen said that he was going to have to lose 
a 12 and a 13-year-old. That made me laugh so hard. What's a 12 and a 13-year-old weigh? 100, 100 pounds? I mean, that is brutally honest. Rather than just coming out there and saying, yeah, he's got to lose a good century, he's got to lose a teenager. He's got to lose damn own son is what he said. Because <laughs> peel my son off of him and he'll be ready to go. But he's already working with Nick Savage. We've seen certainly what he did with Ethan White. It is going to take them no time to get his weight down. And they love certainly what he brings as a nose tackle. And uh, you you put a guy in there like that, he's going to be a space eater. And again, gets their numbers up at defensive tackle. I, I think for them to be able to come in and learn from Gravon Dexter and some of those other players that have uh, played, and then certainly the two grad transfers that are coming in, it's going to help them. So uh, those are definitely some names to watch. We will continue to keep you guys updated throughout spring practice. Even though we won't be able to be there, we'll talk to the coaches and players and uh, definitely get a peek in on some live streams. But right now we're going to jump to this break. When we come back on the other side, we'll be joined by Jeff Cardozo to talk some UF baseball and football. UF announcer for Gators baseball and many other sports, Jeff Cardozo, who also does several other jobs, including the tailgate on WRUF. Happy to join him again and uh, give all those old listeners a little taste of the past. Jeff, how's it going, my friend? It's great. Um, you know, obviously a, a busy time, but but good to be going. I think this is what uh, a lot of people are hoping for to see what uh, this team can do the rest of the spring. I mean, I think every spring sport uh, is going on of course and then you got all the fall sports going on except for football so it's a nutty time in, in our world but but it's fun it's uh, it's good to be a part of it absolutely man and obviously with baseball uh kicking off this weekend i think a lot of excitement in gainesville not only for the team and everything that they're capable of but the brand new ballpark that we did not get to see at the end of last season uh, just talk about your excitement man for all those factors and just this series against miami this weekend this stadium Zach is, is for the fans and, and they deserve it. Um, obviously the, the team has been really, really good over the last decade. And Sully's brought these guys to Omaha seven times more than anybody else over the last 10 years. So th they can play anywhere. I, and it, it's probably going to help with recruiting. If you can even say that he's already getting a bunch of studs anyway, but for, for the families and, and the people, and that's what this is for. It's, it's around the entire stadium. I mean, heck you got the chance to drink beer now, which you, you didn't at the old ballpark. So that's factor number one right there. You just <laughs> oh, go out and yeah. have a good time. But, I mean, that, that's what it's for. I, I, you know, obviously you wish you could open it up and have 10,000 people in there yelling and screaming and having a good time. It'll eventually get to that point. But just to, uh, to be able to get in there and, and give this, uh, this place, this fan base, this program uh, a stadium it deserves is going to be truly awesome. While the stadium's new, no shortage of uh, talent, which you're pretty used to and most Florida fans are as well. But with the pandemic a little bit more loaded, this roster is than normal. What do you make of this team? And just give us a little bit of a preview of this Florida roster. Speaking of talent, we got Graham on here. That's a pretty sweet. Right <laughs> What's up, man? No, that's you're king of the segways, just like Zach. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's loaded. Um, you know, Sully will, will probably be a, a little shy about telling you. I think he knows his team's good, but I mean, I, I think it's the best team he's ever had, at least from a depth standpoint. They, they've had better players overall, but. When you look at what this lineup can be, one through nine, when you look at the rotation, when you look at guys that you know, should be in the rotation that, that are going to be midweek guys, it's it's pretty stacked. It's just uh, he has the ability to 
have so many different options. He has the ability to say, okay, well, if this guy doesn't have it today, I'm going to put this guy in there and, and see what he can do. And I, I really think that's what the early part of this season is going to be because when you get into SEC play, it, it's the best of the best. I mean, there's eight or nine ranked teams in the SEC and the Gators have to play all of them. So that's going to be a grind when you get to that point. But you want to figure out your lineup by the time you get there. So we saw it last year in the 17 games, Sully never used the same lineup. And I think he kind of used that approach. Okay, how am I going to find the right mix? How am I going to find the guys that, that want to play? How many guys, you know, do all these different things? So I think you'll see a lot of lineups early. And, and if I'm a veteran, if, if I'm a, maybe a Corey Acton or a Kendrick Callilau, some of these guys that have been staples in the lineup for a while, I mean, you, you got to know that there's some some young freshmen ready to, to jump out there and, and, and do their thing. So I think that's going to make the competition even better. It's going to make every at-bat more of a grind. It's going to make every pitch mean something for, for all these guys out of the bullpen. So I, I think that will certainly help these guys when it's all said and done. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, probably a lot of emotions for this team going into this weekend after the way that last season ended and this long layoff that they've had. The excitement of a new ballpark. I mean, there, there's so much going into it, but then at the end of the day, you look across and you see your rival in Miami. And I think it's not going to take long for these guys to get locked in. Um, wh what do you make of this matchup, Jeff? And I know you hate the Hurricanes with the passion, uh, but obviously Florida's got to bring their A game. Yeah, they do. Um, but what Sully's been able to do against Miami is just really incredible. I think he's like 34 and 13 now against the Hurricanes all time. Gators have won five in a row. They've won. 17 of the last 21 I think it was when I was looking at it yesterday so they don't lose a lot to the Hurricanes and, and you know the Hurricanes are pretty pissed off about that and my uh, Miami was was at home last year the Gators went down there and came back in a couple of games and and really spoiled Miami's season you look at Florida and all those guys are back so the Gators have the advantage there but Miami probably is the best catcher in the country guy will be a first round pick they, they've got a middle infielder that's legit and they've got two guys that'll be in this rotation on Saturday and Sunday, two freshmen, and these guys throw it up there about 95, 96 miles an hour. So they, they've got talent. You just, you know, wonder how they're going to fare in, in this ballpark and, you know, coming up to Gainesville and, and see how things go the, those first time out. But it's the first time that Miami has had a freshman in the starting rotation on opening weekend in, in about 10 years. So um, that's how much they, uh, they feel that these guys can, can do some damage. You mentioned the most talented in terms of depth, that Kevin O'Sullivan's had here in Gainesville. But last year we saw this team start 16-0 before they lost to that team out west. What do you think is the overall potential of this fully loaded Gators this year? Yeah, thanks for not saying uh, the the real name of that team because, yeah, that, that was a tough I had to think to end, about it. Uh, and McKeithen that way, and now you get to open up the new ballpark with uh, with your other in-state rivals. So, so that's kind of cool. Um, but, I mean, Graham, the, the sky's the limit. You know, I think if these guys play the way that they're capable of, they should win a lot of games. That's like Zach on the basketball court. He just goes out and dunks. He's not scared. Just go do it. <laughs> go hustle all the people. So, um, yeah, I think that's – there's a lot of confidence, and then there's a purpose within these guys. Listen, you come to Florida, you know what you're, you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be getting to Omaha, and – the, these guys understand that. They know what the goal is. Sully makes sure that all these guys understand that when they step foot on campus. And it's a mindset. And, you know, Sully runs this thing like a big league program. And I think that's what makes it so special. But he allows the guys to also be themselves. So they'll go out and, and do their thing and, and, and see what happens. But I just, I, I think that they have the ability to win a whole lot of games. And think about that. If, if, let's just say you go two and one on every weekend in the SEC. So you're going 20 and 10. 
in those 30 games. You should win a majority of your midweek games, if not all of them, and you should win most of the weekend games. So I think you're talking about a team that could be going into postseason play with, you know, maybe 10, 11, 12 losses somewhere in there. And that's like 40-something wins if you're looking at a 56-game schedule. So, I mean, that, that's winning a lot of games, and then you just have to put it all together at the right time, which uh, hopefully they're playing well at the end of the year, and that's obviously the goal. And obviously, Jeff, the goal is to, to have spring football going in 2021. And as we have seen, Dan Mullen and, and his staff wasting no time to get those guys back out there on the field. And you mentioned all the sports going on on campus. We're not used to spring practices happening around this time, but uh, we get a little early treat. And, and, and obviously, we're not going to be able to go out and see this team. There's not going to be a spring game, but a lot of you know live streaming and opportunities that they're going to get fans to watch them at practice. But just what are you looking forward uh, to as, as they take the practice field and kind of turn over the roster to some new pieces? Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with, with several guys on the staff. And, you know, I think everybody's certainly talking about the defense and can they get better. I think those guys were just thinking too much. They didn't want to do wrong. And then, you know, they're getting the, the, the call in there and like, man, what am I supposed to do? And then by the time they figure out what to do, well, it's too late and guys are blowing right by them. So having that spring, I think, will be really, really beneficial for the defense and them. You know, what's going to happen with this offense? We all love Kyle Trask, what he was able to do last year. So now what is the offense going to look like? And, you know, certainly Emery's gotten out there. He, he's had the ability to get some plays, but it hasn't been full game. So is he going to be able to read a defense like Kyle Trask was? And, and you know, the answer to that is probably no, but he can now do stuff with his feet. And, and we know how good of a play caller Dan Mullen is, how good of a quarterback coach he is, how many situations he's going to put guys in to be successful. Now they just have to go out and execute. So hopefully your Emery will, will figure it out. He'll be able to, to, you know, at least go to the, the second guy or the third guy. And then if not, be able to tuck and run and not scared right away and just uh, to go do something. I mean, and this is probably the offense that, that Dan Mullen always envisioned. It's yep. that dual threat guy that can go out and, and do something. So where it, where it won't be passing all over the place and putting up a whole bunch of yards. It, it's got a chance to still be special with uh, the talent that these guys have. Obviously, Dan Mullen is well-regarded as a quarterback developer, but just what are your thoughts on Emory Jones, where he's at right now? And you said this is the ideal offense that Dan Mullen would like to run. How best suited to his skill set is Anthony Richardson as well in helping uh, to make that tandem? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've all seen Richardson here because he's a local kid. He, he's a stud and know how good he was in that Oklahoma game and the limited time he's got, but he, he's not ready yet, and he will be, I think, the – get a chance to, to be the guy. But right now this is Emery's team and he's got to go out and, and be a leader. You know, he's wanted this opportunity probably for, for several years now and feels like he can be the guy. So I just hope he works really, really hard in the spring and then certainly the summer and, and what allows it. So he's ready to, to take over the reins and, and keep this thing clicking. And I know obviously you're ready to keep this thing clicking when the Gators uh, start their baseball season. My question for you is, have you already mapped out in your room where you're going to be calling the games your candy drawer. Do you know where that's going to be? Is it already filled with all your goodies? It's uh, it's purchased. It's not in there yet. I'm actually going to uh, make my way over to the stadium in a little bit to to knock that out and make sure it's all settled in. Because of course, that is the the most important part. You're uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, people don't know. Like you're like the nutty professor with how you got like candy just stashed this man is all spilling over the place. Secrets, Jeff. Look at him. He's spilling your deepest, darkest secrets out here. No, every all hey. all our all our tailgate listeners know. They know oh. Jeff's sweet tooth. Yeah, I mean, baseball can be long. Well, no doubt, man. Well, we, I know you're looking forward to getting out there. We're looking forward to getting out there as well. We definitely appreciate you 
giving us a preview of the season, what to look forward to from this team, and also uh, your thoughts on football as well. It's an exciting time right now on campus and a lot to look forward to in 2021, man. So we'll definitely have you on again and uh, enjoy that uh, beatdown against Miami. Sounds good. That's what we're hoping for. Thanks, guys. stuff from Jeff there and I know he's excited about baseball season starting I know Graham you were excited to finally have some basketball to cover after that layoff that Florida had and I love the way that you tweeted it out before that Arkansas game layoffs who's who's worried about layoffs well definitely the Gators were because we saw how they came out in that first half against the Razorbacks about what you would expect after that much time away from the court then they go in there into the locker room, and they come out in that second half, and they just put together a great run and emptied the tank to take the lead. And I think from that point on, they just didn't have anything left in the tank. And Arkansas was able to uh, close the deal as Florida really didn't play well down the stretch. But definitely impressive to see the way that they rallied, but also not surprising to see the way that they came out and started the game. Yeah, I love that Jim Moore quote. I first off got to say that. Layoffs? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Layoffs? I mean, this is a Florida team that's had how many layoffs by now, and they've come back impressively, I have to say. When you take this much time away from the practice court, we talked last week that Florida only had seven guys available leading up to the practice before Arkansas. And Colin Castleton, who I would say arguably their most important piece on this team right now, the way the offense runs through him, he wasn't able to practice. He was a game-time decision to even travel to Arkansas. He starts – he doesn't start, excuse me – Comes off the bench, still is a factor as well, along with Tyree Appleby, but Florida can't overcome that double-digit first-half deficit, even though they did take the lead there late in that game, just didn't have enough there against a very good Arkansas team. And Eric Musselman has ranked there, now 17-5, and one of the SEC's best teams. Florida does have a tough slate coming up here, but I think matchup-wise, you have to like how they match up against some of these teams. Georgia, I think that's a good matchup for them. They beat that team by eight on the road. Now they play them at home this Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Again, that's a team they already beat by eight points up in Athens. And then you look at the rest of their slate at Auburn, very impressive Auburn team with Sharif Cooper. They have a chance at revenge against Kentucky, even though they lost that team by 18. Now they got to go to Rupp Arena. I still think they match up pretty well with them. And then can they reschedule that LSU game along with a number 10 Missouri team? This is a very tough slate, but matchup-wise, I think that Florida can do it. But if they keep letting the losses pile up, Zach, they could be in danger of missing the NCAA tournament. That is very clear. And I think that's what everybody wants to know now. And we talked last week about all the bracketology projections, and they still have the Gators making the tournament, but they're going to have to get some wins here down the stretch. They're obviously probably going to need to play well in the SEC tournament. But, I mean, look, I know you say you like the matchups, but, I mean, they have to go on the road twice. And then Missouri, I mean, these are no cupcakes. And the fact that they've had that layoff, that's something I think that you have to take into account. Can they get back to playing the way that they were when they had that four-game winning streak and when they were playing their best basketball? And there's no doubt that that time off has had them get a little rusty, but they did find their rhythm and find their groove in that second half. Can they replicate that and then show it more consistently down the stretch? Yeah, that's a huge question mark for Florida moving forward because we've seen ups and downs from this team depending on what night it is, who the opponent is. 
you look around, and I think we talked about this last week, the hope was for every team that they would close the regular season well enough that they wouldn't need the SEC tournament, Zach. I mean, Florida was sitting here last week at 10-5, and five, and if they had managed to go 6-0, and 5-1 and one over the remaining stretch, sit there at the SEC tournament at 17-6, and six, that pretty much guarantees them a slot in the NCAA tournament, and you would want to take the conference tournament off because can you imagine going to a neutral site, playing a bunch of other teams, dealing with a possible COVID exposure, and then your NCAA tournament is in jeopardy when you didn't even need to go to the conference tournament. That is a realistic talking point for many teams here. And I think that in the next couple of weeks, you will see teams like Alabama, uh, Missouri possibly, decide that they're not going to play in the conference tournament because it's too much of a risk. The risk outweighs the reward. Unfortunately, Florida is looking like that they're going to have to take that risk and go up there to Nashville and solidify their NCAA tournament resume. And the Florida baseball team, Graham, can certainly boost their resume to start the season off if they can get a series win against Miami. And we saw the softball team able to do that last weekend as they started their season getting wins on the road against USF before that Sunday game was postponed. And then in their ballpark to start the season, they got a one nothing victory over Jacksonville, and they will host Georgia Southern this weekend. What, what was your impressions of how the softball team started the season, certainly with that series win over USF, and then uh, you covered that game on Wednesday night? Yeah, I was out there Wednesday night at the beautiful, renovated Katie Seashole-Presley Stadium. My first time being out there since the huge renovation. Much nicer, I gotta say. Much better view. And I really didn't have a view of much action that game. I was expecting it to be more in line of what Florida did on the road this weekend in Tampa when the Gators went down for a doubleheader at USF. 21 runs combined last Saturday, 15-0 in that second game. There were no sign of those bats, though, on Wednesday night. Florida had a chance to load the bases with no outs and to hit a grand slam, but the Dolphins get three straight outs, and they do it once again. Florida loads the bases in the fourth inning, can't come away with any runs. The game is tied there in the seventh inning before Hannah Adams' walk-off RBI brings home Cheyenne Lindsay for the 1-0 win. Much closer than it should have been when we talked to Tim Walton after the game. Looking forward to this weekend, the Bubbly Invitational. He hopes to play a few more of the team's younger players after having to really just play their main starters against the Dolphins on Wednesday night. So this weekend, they're back in action. The five-game Bubbly Invitational. Three games against Georgia Southern, two games against Charlotte. That's this weekend across a 48-hour span. The Florida softball team ranked number five in the country, looking back to improve to 8-0 this weekend. And then we also saw another Florida team get their season started last weekend. Lacrosse opened with a 14-7 to win on the road at Louisville. And then a huge matchup on Friday, Graham, as they will face off on the road against number one North Carolina. So a test for the Gators early this season. Yeah, we talked about that last week. This is something they did last year before the whole shutdown. Florida went on the road and beat the number one team in the country last year. Maryland snapped their 86-game home winning streak. Now the Gators, 1-0, have a chance to do it again, going on the road to face number one UNC. Everyone knows that North Carolina, perennial lacrosse powerhouse, number one in the country, the Tar Heels are. The Gators, though, no pushover this year. They're number five, going on the road, chance to beat the top dog once again. You know, you talk to Coach Amanda O'Leary, this is a well-rounded team. They have the conference's best goalkeeper. They have Brianna Harris, who's one of the most underrated attackers, in my opinion. Trombetta, fantastic. This is a team that I think is just loaded with talent. They're gonna, they have a chance to go on the road and beat a number one team once again. We'll see if they can do it on Saturday. 
And you want to talk about uh, going on the road and getting a big win. Got to give a shout out to the Gators Gymnastics team. What a meet that was against LSU and uh, just to see those highlights. And I mean, that was quite a scene for that team and, and, and quite a way for them to, uh, you know, kind of get their season going and they got another big meet this weekend as they have their uh, link to pink versus Kentucky. We've talked about this gymnastics team with glowing praise repeatedly how much depth they have how many selfless players have waited in the wings for their chance in the all-around and yet Trinity Thomas keeps doing her thing it's insane what she does manages every week to come out there and do something that you haven't seen set some NCAA records, I think a program record with a 39.90 against the LSU Tigers. That meet, I know that there were some Florida fans saying that the officiating was a little bit friendly for the Tigers there. They got a little bit of a home court advantage, whatever you want to call it, in the Maravich Center. But Florida brought everything they had to get the win. Now they're back here for the link to pink against Kentucky Friday night. Huge event always benefiting cancer research. I'm really looking forward to that one. I'll be out there as well, Zach. I can't wait to see what Florida, how they continue to one up themselves once again. Yeah, and gymnastics still undefeated on the season. They got five wins, and there will be no fifth year for Tim Tebow in pro baseball. He decided to announce his retirement this week from the game. He says he's being called in other directions and is not 100% in it anymore. And and the fact that he's kind of reached that point, he he doesn't want to continue to go out there if that's not going to be the case. So definitely wish him the best, as he calls it a career, both with the diamond and on the gridiron, as as we presume, at least. If he's not going back to Jacksonville, uh, I sent out that tweet jokingly <laughs> after he announced his retirement. But nonetheless, look, man, you can say what you want. The guy played four years of professional baseball. He made it to AAA. He didn't make it to the majors, but I think still made it farther than a lot of people on the onset thought that he would and had some cool moments there when he kind of started his pro career, when he was getting the home runs at his first at-bat the first couple uh, teams that he played for. So I'm sure he's going to look back on it fondly. And, uh, you know, I, I think that leaves us with the biggest question of them all, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw that earlier before Tim Tebow announced his retirement from baseball. You gave a shout out to his airness. Yeah. For his birthday, February 17th. The GOAT. He, a famous baseball player as well, maybe not as famous as he was a basketball player, but... but I tell you what, I think both him and Tebow got all the the fame and notoriety and press coverage when they made that switch. It was probably, as big as it was for Tebow in this era, it was the same for Michael Jordan, certainly at that time. I think they also brought a lot of fans to baseball who maybe wouldn't have watched otherwise. And when you often watch a sport that you don't think you're going to have a lot of interest in, sometimes that can make you realize that, hey... I wasn't really appreciating this before. That happened with me with hockey. I watched some baseball when Tim Tebow was out there. I remember those home runs. I know there were a lot of people who became baseball fans when they saw those pinstripes on Michael Jordan. I just was glad that he did it because, you know, baseball is a great sport, and Tim Tebow showed that it's pretty dang difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as we wrap this up, Graham, I'm going to put you on the spot. And I'm sure this is being debated all across the country right now. Not. But still, we'll ask, we'll ask each other, who do you think had the better baseball career? That's was difficult. It, was it Jordan or Tebow? That's difficult. I, I think, and you said this as well, Tebow was a real baseball player. I, I think that he, I think he was he a real baseball He had more background player. in baseball than Jordan he, he did. He did. While Jordan's was definitely personally motivated 
to get into it and to fulfill something he kind of wished he had, I think, given more attention to earlier in his life. Tebow, Tebow did give it that Tebow attention. Tebow did give it that attention. He had prepared, he had seriously considered baseball in his future. So I think it made more sense to see Tim Tebow go into baseball. And while I wasn't alive when Jordan went into baseball. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, Tebow obviously was pretty much done in the NFL where Jordan was at the height of his career. There were people trying to find reasons why Jordan played baseball. With Tim Tebow, I think a lot of people realized this is a guy who was still capable of athletic prowess, who just wasn't able to compete in the NFL, but still had a way to compete, and he did it in baseball. That was what is impressive to me, that he was easily able to, easily, I say, easily able to compete in another professional sport. I'll tell you what, we are not Tim Tebow haters on this podcast whatsoever. You're never going to hear Graham or I really have anything negative to say about that guy. Not at all. um, Whatever you think about his baseball pursuits or how his NFL career played out or whatever he is done as an athlete, I mean, what that guy does away from sports and away from the game is just incredible. He just had his night to shine again recently uh, despite COVID. So shout out to Tebow, shout out to the career that he had, and uh, shout out to Jeff Cardozo for joining us on this edition of the Gator Sports Podcast. For Graham Hall, I'm Zach Albaverde. No one.